Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. Praise the Lord, saints. How y'all doing, Lifehouse? It's good to see y'all this morning. Amen, amen. I tell you what, it's all good, Pastor John, because I can't barely pronounce my last name either, so it's all good. It's Good Ridge, Good Ranch, you know. People can say good and they can say rich, but Good Rich, I don't know, that's hard for some strange reason. So it's all good, man. Let's give God a hand clap of praise today. Our God, he is God, and he's so worthy to be praised. And let's let's give it up for our pastors, amen? It's so important for our pastors, our leaders to get some, you know, some rest and relaxation, some R&R time. So I'm so glad they're able to get away and um, things are still going here. So really excited about that. Who's been, who has this Let's Talk About It series been a blessing to you? Has it been a blessing? I know, right? I know a, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, man. It's, 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 it's a, t- so many tough things. Tough things to talk about, but I'm so glad that we worship together in a place where we can address real issues, right, that are impacting us each and every day, amen? You don't got to come here and, and be fake. You can come here and be real and, and, and experience God in a totally new way, amen? So I tell you what, uh, today we're going to be continuing along with part four of the Let's Talk About It series, amen? Y'all excited? I'm, I'm, I'm pumped up here, man. It's probably that five-hour energy I drank earlier, but anyway. <laughs> hey, so look, wherever you are on your relationship status or whatever it is that you find yourself in, especially if you're married, I want to let you know that this message is for you, just like the other messages that Pastor John have, have preached earlier before that, you know, here at Lifehouse, we don't use condemnation, shame, and guilt. We don't use those things as tools to try to change somebody because those things don't change Nobody, they put people in chains, amen? So we're not about that at LifeHouse, but instead we, we, we ascribe to love, right? Because God loves us and he uses his love, his grace and his mercy to, to, to lovingly correct us, to pull us in and to edify and build us up, amen? Amen, so we're gonna keep it, we're gonna keep it going. So let me tell you something, if you got your, your, if you got your spouse sitting right beside you or your, your significant Others sitting by beside you, I want you to grab their hand. Grab their hand. I want you to look at look them in the eye and say, "Here we go. Here we go. All right. Look at them and say, "I still, I did before. I did before. I hope you did before, right? I did before, and I still do." Now, I'll tell you what, man, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to still be saying that after 21 years total of being together with my wife, amen, and this April 17th will be 15 years of marriage, praise God. I tell y'all, look, we got together when we were 17, so we needed every bit of Jesus we could get because we didn't know a doggone thing. We didn't know nothing what we was into. But I thank God for 15 years of marriage in April, but I confess that you know, I won't always excited to be saying, man, I still do I? Do I mean do I still do? Amen. Amen. Somebody here is real with me. And see, and 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 if 
I'm, I'm sure my wife would say the same. If she was here right beside me, she's sitting there in the front. But she, she was, if she was beside me, she would say the same thing, right? And you think, why in the world would you say such a thing? Well, the truth is because marriage is, is tough. Marriage is tough at times, and it's, and it's not easy. And anybody that tells you that marriage is, they've only been married one week. They've only been married one week. Or obviously, they ain't been married long enough. Because you still think everything's real great. I mean, it'll eventually be great, but if you do you right now, oh, it's easy, it's great. Yeah, I'm gonna keep living. Because truth is, marriage changes. Marriage changes, you change, your spouse change, and life oftentimes throws you curveballs without giving you notice. It's not black and white. And I'm gonna tell you something. Though on my wedding day, my wife gave me a ring. She, she conveniently left the instruction manual at home when we got married. I mean, but truth be told, <laughs> I did too. <laughs> you know, you find out in marriage that you learn that marriage is very different than what you originally thought it was. And that a healthy marriage isn't, in fact, based on your flawed and selfish love, but in fact, it's based on Christ's perfect and selfless love. And then through relationship with him, we discover his awesome love, and it changes us and makes us come alive and transforms us into a new person and then compels us to give this newfound love to our spouse. Amen? And so, and so we learn these things along the way. Now, I know you ain't saying, okay, all right, Dwayne, that all sound good. Okay, great. Uh, but the honeymoon's over. Okay? It's, it's over. We're having financial problems, in-law problems, bedroom problems, fill-in-the-blank problems, all them problems. Well, what I want to tell you today is that today's message is very, very practical and something that you can immediately put into practice. It won't be a fix-all, but I hope that through this message today that I'll be able to share some things with you from the Word of God and things that He placed in my heart that will hopefully later on spark some conversation, reflection, and infuse the hope to believe that you can, in fact, have that great marriage that God always intended for you to have. All right? Amen? Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for blessing us to be able to see it. Thank you for your presence here today, Lord God. We pray, Lord God, that as you saturate this place with your, with your presence, Lord God, Lord God, that you would let make this word to fall on good ground today, Lord God. Anoint us, Lord God. Speak to us, through us, Lord God. Father God, let your word come forth in power, truth, and in conviction, Lord God. Change us, Lord God, because we've had an encounter with you. We love you and honor you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So a few things I want to share. The first thing is, first things first. Now, look, anybody ever, we, anybody ever heard first things first? Yeah, it's a common statement that we use to, to set in place our, our, really to identify our and order our priorities, right? And, and higher priorities oftentimes require more time and more energy, while other priorities don't, right? So why in the world is that so important when it comes to marriage? Well, because sometimes we have the biggest arguments over these smallest things. Anybody ever argue about? That's what I'm talking about, Tosh. Anybody ever argue about squeezing the toothpaste? You squeeze it from the middle. Don't you squeeze from the end? I can't stand you. You ain't squeezing it right. Anybody ever argue about the, the gaslight in the car? 
oh, oh, you going to get in the car and drive the whole day but not put no gas in it like you ain't know that the gas light was on? Anybody ever argue about leaving the toilet seat up? I mean, I don't know if anybody fell in, but I'm just saying, anybody ever argue about that? Or, 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 or Jesus, hair in the sink? Ooh. Hair in the sink. My wife and I got two sinks right now because I can't stand. Hair in the sink. Hair in the sink. We arguing. Or, 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 pooting under the covers? I mean, sure, it's irritating. It's irritating. I mean, but, but ask your neighbor. I mean, ask your neighbor, is it really that big of a deal? Well, maybe Putin under the covers. That's just nasty. I don't, I don't know about that. Putin under the covers is probably not, not so much. But most times, no, right? First things first is we got to recognize what our priorities really should be in the marriage, right? Priorities determine position. And position determines how much time and energy we devote to a thing. So having our priorities in order provides a sense of direction and stability in our lives and helps us to avoid distractions and wasting time over arguing over things that really don't matter. So what are your priorities and and really how are they arranged? If you're wondering, just consider for a moment, where do you spend your money? Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your energy at? Because these things will tell you really quickly what you value and what you feel is important. See, Matthew 6.33 tells us to seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will add all of these things unto you. God understands the multiple things that concern us and what we have need of. In fact, the word of God tells us that, that God knows what need we have before we even go to him in prayer to ask for it. God knows what it is that we need, even the desires of our heart. Yet God still encourages us to put him in his place. First thing first, to put him above even our very own needs. See, because as we seek him and trust him, what happens is that we'll, he'll lead us and guide us and provide the very thing that we need. Putting God first puts God in the right position. It makes him not just Savior, but Lord. And when he is Lord, then he enables us to put things in the right place, amen, and teaches us how to manage our lives in a way that's, that's healthy and beneficial to our spouses and to our families, amen? So it is important that we put God in the right place and make him our priority. See, when things are out of order, we make the wrong things important and make bad decisions. We put the improper amount of time and energy in the wrong places. Let me show you what I mean. When I was engaged to my wife, I had just graduated from Old Dominion University. Woo-woo, anybody here from ODU? Yeah? Good job. All right. So, uh, so after, after getting a job at the shipyard, uh, I, we, we had, I had talked to her about going to get a motorcycle. I didn't tell her when I was going to go get the motorcycle, but what happened is, you know, I had just showed up at, at, at her apartment with the motorcycle. <laughs> and I thought that she was going to be excited. I thought she was going to be excited, like, oh, I'm so happy for you. She gave me the meanest black woman look I had ever seen in my life. <laughs> it was quickly, it was, it was real quick. That's when I realized that I had done something wrong. I, I didn't quite, my priorities was in the wrong place. Uh, she was not excited about that. We hadn't talked about that. We was getting married, you know, within the next year, and here I am. I, I showed up with, the, with a motorcycle, 
right? Now, granted, years later, we're having that conversation again, but I'm going to talk to her first, and we're going to go get it together so I don't get in trouble, all right? But see, disordered priorities will do damage to our relationships and hinder growth. Example, the thing is, is that, you know, the world tries to tell a husband that you need to be a, pri- a provider. That is your main job in a, in, a, in a marriage to be a provider. And see, and sometimes men inadvertently sacrifice their family for the sake of working to provide a better life. They, but what happens is, is that they forsake the role of priest to pick up the role of provider. You see, the wife that loves God and loves her husband would gladly give up that that nice house or that nice car just to have her husband with her when she really needs him. Those kids really want their daddy way more than they want the toys that he can buy. It's great to have the toys, but if you don't have nobody to play with, what good is the toy? And so having our priorities in place helps us to be able to put things in the right place and give the right amount of energy to those things. Amen? I tell you what, our priorities really should be God, our spouse, our kids, our family, and then everything else. And I don't have a problem telling my kids that that is the order that they should live their life and conduct themselves by. Real quick, I let my, I let my kids know, Daddy, love you very much. I love you. I, I love you a whole lot. But I love Mommy more. <laughs> I love Mommy more. Yes, I do. I love her a lot more. And then, and I love God more than I love her. And you say, well, why is that? That's a terrible thing to say. But is it? No, it's not. It's a beautiful thing to say because I'm trying to teach them the order by which they should live their life. I understand that the first thing that I need to have in the right place is God. If I'm a good son to God and I'm growing in the things of God, I'll find out that God will give me the love in order to be a good husband. And if I be a good son to to God, then I'll find out that God will teach me about how much he loves me in order to be a good father. So if I take God out of it from which all of those things flow, then I'll find myself being lackluster and being only half-hearted and being able to be a good father or husband because I'm not connected to the one from which those things come from. So if I'm a better son to God, then I'll be a better husband and I'll be a better father. We got to put our priorities in the right order. Amen? Amen. Your priorities create a sense of expectation and predictableness about you. I don't even know if predictableness is a word, but I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it today. It, it creates some predictableness. Just say it. Say predictableness. See, don't you feel better? Exactly. So a predictableness about you. In other words, that predictableness creates patterns. And see, when a, when, when, when a wife knows and understands her husband's patterns, she thereby trusts him. See, that trust from his patterns then fosters peace and love in the relationship. I mean, in other words, he ain't coming home at 5 p.m. one day, then 8 p.m. the next, then 11 p.m. the next day. And then two days later, he don't even come home. He come home the next day. I don't know any wife that would be okay with that. Because what it does is it puts her in a place where she don't know what to expect. And it creates an environment that's, un- that's unstable. So having patterns enables us to have set proper expectations of people and then invokes peace and love in the relationship. Amen. And the thing is that through Christ, God lovingly does the same thing with us. Through relationship with Christ, we understand that God invites us to know him. 
Learn his statutes. Learn his ways. In other words, learn his patterns. See, we can expect God to love us and honor his word. However, sometimes we're shaky on God when we don't know his patterns or we expect him to be the God of the culture instead of the God of creation. So first things first, tell your neighbor. Neighbor, put God first. The next thing is, what's the weather? What's the weather today? Anybody ever felt like... Like marriage is like tracking the weather. I mean, you don't always know what you're going to get, and you don't always know what to expect. Even when looking at the uh, forecast, you, you try to dress appropriately for the weather, but sometimes it's just wrong, and you just got to deal with it. You know, I mean, in other words, marriage, like the weather just changes with the seasons. But it's okay. The thing we need to do is embrace the change. Embrace the change. Embrace the change of the seasons. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 tells us, To everything there's a season, and a time to every purpose under heaven. You know, it's always funny when I hear newlyweds and specifically husbands say, Man, as soon as we got married, yo, things changed. like, As soon as we had kids, things changed. I mean, she's just so different. I don't even know who she is anymore. My response is, you're right. You're right. Before, she was your girlfriend, and then your fiancé, and now your wife, and now a mother, and now fill in the blank. You know, your, your, your fiancé ain't your girlfriend. You can't treat her the same. Your wife ain't your fiancé, for sure. You can't treat her the same. So she's constantly changing. But, you know, it's funny because it's almost as if they really didn't expect their spouse to change. You know, it's almost like being stuck in a Disney fairy tale wedding or something. You know, like, we're just going to stay this way forever. <laughs> you hear the flowers in the background. <laughs> mm, that's sweet. <laughs> that's sweet, but it ain't realistic. <laughs> that's not realistic. And, you know, and the truth is, is that, you know, we do expect some things to actually change, while others we don't. For instance. We change our jobs, our Facebook statuses, hopefully our clothes. We even change the oil in our cars, but for some strange reason, we always expect our spouses to be the same. And we don't recognize when they're changing. And see, this lack of recognition adds stress and frustration to the marriage because one or both parties see the other for the person that they were and not for the person that they are. And see, and though, we like to, and though we like to think the whole entire time that we're the same, I've been the same way the entire time. Truth is that we're changing with the seasons of life too. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, that when I was a child, I spoke as a child. When I became a man, I started, I put away childish things. You know, I can remember, I can remember when, like right when I got married. I had just moved into an apartment uh, the, the week before. And I had what every man has in their apartment. Had TV. Yeah. Had a TV stand. A TV stand. And I had those little, like, fold-out chairs. I had, like, two of those fold-out chairs, the red fold-out chairs, you know, that you get from, like, Ollie's that fold out in the lawn chairs. I had, like, two of those because you need, you need to sit in something, you know. And I, and I had an air mattress, I, you know, and um, paper plates. I had all I, I had those things, right. 
But then we get then after I, we got married, my wife moved in, and it was like a whole new world just happened out of nowhere. All of a sudden, I had I had a couch. I didn't have to sit on a chair no more. I had a, I had a chair. To, we had a dining room. We had a dining table and um, silverware. We had silverware. And um, my wife came with furniture. I was like, oh, my gosh, things changed. My world just changed just like that. Anybody that's ever had kids know that, you know what, when, there's a, 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 when, when your wife is pregnant, that is a season. It's a game changer when they get out. You can carry them around anywhere you want when they're inside, but when they get out, it's like, oh, Lord, they, they all over the place. They grow arms and legs and all kinds of things. I mean, it's just, it's a different season, and we have to adjust with the, cheese, with the season. Look, I'm not saying that, look, marriage makes you schizophrenic or, like, mentally unstable. Like, you know, you're going to wake up one day and not know who in the world you are or who they are, and you're like, wait, the world did I get myself into? What I am saying is that life will demand different things from you at different times. See, and we're constantly adjusted and growing through these seasons, right? And so anything that is living and growing is, in fact, changing. So the change is inevitable. So the key to is to grow through these seasons together in our marriage so we don't lose them, so we don't lose each other in the midst of them. Amen? It's, it's so unfortunate when I hear couples that have been married 10, 15, 20, 30 years say, decide, hey, you know what, we're getting divorced. And you're like, why are you getting divorced? And they say stuff like, well, you know, we just started to grow apart. Or you know what, well, we just fell out of love. When truthfully, they just didn't grow together. I want to encourage you today to hold on to Christ and hold on to each other through every single season that you go through. Embrace the person that God is shaping and molding within you and in your spouse. Amen? Amen. If you want to know the weather, ask God, the weatherman. The next thing is, I love you, but do I like you? I mean, at first glance, this statement seems like it's contradictory, right? It don't seem like, uh, you know, you, you, we, would think, we would think that someone that you love is someone that you just like by default. Um, but, you know, we all got them people that we love from a distance. Y'all know what I mean, right? You know, we say we love them, but we don't necessarily want to hang out with them that much. But see, unfortunately, in marriage, we do the same thing. Many spouses will say, you know, without a doubt that they love each other dearly, but they forget to like each other. In, in other words, they just forget to be friends, simple friends. And see, a stronger friendship means that we'll have a stronger marriage. There's a Hebrew word for love that, that's, that's called ahava. Just say ahava, ahava. That's a cool word, ahava. And see, what it means is a general love, affinity, affection, or care one shows for another. In fact, it's the very love, the very word that God uses to describe his love for us. It's also used in the scripture that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. So when we're growing in friendship with, our, with the one that eventually becomes our spouse, it's really the ahava that we're having with them. It's that care that you're having with them, that you want to be around with them all the time, that you enjoy their company, that you want to be with them. Amen? And you enjoy doing things together and the weird thing here is that no Jesus even calls us friends 
Jesus calls us friends, no longer servants. The Bible says that no greater love than a man has than this, that he lay his life down for his friend. Our spouse is our neighbor, at least I hope so, and they should definitely be our friend. You see, the ahava, the, 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 the love, the ahava, that general love and, and, and a marital friendship fuels all of the other types of love, the filios, the eros, the agape, all of those things come from the ahava that you have for one another. In other words, that love is like the pilot light on a gas fireplace, right? You got like to like that pilot light in order to get the flame to go, right? And, but once that pilot light go out, what happens to the flame? Poof, it's gone. See, the pilot light is small, and you barely can see it. And sometimes we take our friendship with our spouses for granted because we like all of the other things that we think are way more important. But how can you walk together with somebody if you don't agree with them? How can you want to be around your spouse if you're not friends and want to be around them? See, your, your friendship is the very thing that keeps you together. Your friendship is the thing that keeps you glued together throughout the years. So the question here is, who do you have fun with? Who do you have fun with? When are you your happiest, most alive, open, and transparent? See, because the people that you have the most fun with are those people that you want to spend time with. Those are the people that you look forward to being with as much as you possibly can. But if your spouse isn't your friend and you don't have fun with them, chances are you probably really don't enjoy being around your spouse. But the question is why? What, what happened that stole the joy out of each other's company? Because it wasn't always that way. It wasn't always that way. What do you talk about when you're together? You will find out that our conversations are key, depending on who we talk to, amen? Think about it. Wives, if your typical conversations with your husband is centered around him fixing something. Can you fix this door? Can you put this light up? Can you go run some errands? Can you pick up the kids? Can you drop the kids? Can you go get a car fixed? We got to pay these bills. Well, he may very well love you, but he might be distant when he's around you. Husbands, if your typical conversations with your wife is, hey, baby, what you cooking? I need you to iron these clothes. Hey, I got laundry over here. Can you do this laundry? If, if the only time that you were interested in her day is when you want to get some, then, I mean, she probably will say she loves you, but she probably going to be real distant when she's around you. Amen? And the thing is, is that our conversations matter when we are around our spouses. See, if your conversations always become centered around doing something, then what happens is your interaction with each other becomes unpleasant because every conversation you have is about doing something. Every time you talk, it's about doing work. No wonder you probably don't like to hang out together. But if you're able to have fun together, then you will find yourself looking forward to being with one another just the same way that you were that brought that marriage together. Marriage ain't the first thing. It's the friendship that leads into the marriage, amen? And so we need to restore our friendships in our marriage. We need to make sure that we spend time together and build our friendship back up with our, with our spouses. We need to be intentional and to make each other a priority. Spend 10 to 15 minutes, um, excuse me, 10 to 15 
hours a week with one another, talking or find something mutual it is that you like. When my wife and I had this conversation, I mean, I just found out that my wife don't like football. I, just, I, I was not ready for this. Not ready for this kind of conversation because I'm a cowboy fan and, and, and we need all the help that we could, that we could get. And, we, and when I found out that she, you know, she, she not only didn't like football, she, she didn't really like watching it. I was like, what, what, Jesus, what kind of woman you give me? What, is, what happened? We've been together 20 years and we just now having this conversation. <laughs> Look, I'm not saying that you can't do the things that you like to do, right? There absolutely should be some balance, right? But the thing is, is that we need to find some things that we mutually like to do together. And if you spend time and make it a priority to do those things that you like to do together, what you will find out is that you are together. And while you are together, you're learning about the person that God is making your spouse into. And that person is learning about who it is that God is making you into. And what happens is that pilot like stays lit and fuels all of the other kinds of love. This is how we grow together and stay together. Find mutual things to do together. Make each other a priority. And make your spouse your most fun partner. Amen? Make your spouse your most fun partner. The next thing, since you're going to be together a whole lot more after this message, <laughs> is that you, we need to fight fair. Fighting fair. Okay, look, if, if you're going to be around each other, it ain't a matter of when you're going to have some conflict. If you're going to have some conflict, it's going to be when you have some conflict. But see, conflict, conflict can be a good thing if it's handled properly. If it's handled properly, you'll find out that it's the vehicle that can bring you closer to one another. But if not handled properly, you'll find out that it'll fuel fierce arguments and it'll harbor ill will and resentment within each other. So let me ask you, how do you handle, how do you handle conflict? Are you, are you a fight or flight type person? You know, are you that person sitting on ready? Like a disagreement happened? I wish. I, I wish you'd say something. Do you argue for absolutely sometimes no reason at all? Even if you come to an agreement, you still just now you going to argue about it? Are you that person that attacks? Or are you the person that, that, that flees, that runs away? I, I, I don't want to deal with it. Because it's easier for you to adapt it and just deal with it over here. You'd rather just kind of go with it and just put it off. But yet it changes you and you, you don't know it's changing you and you're acting in a certain kind of way because you never dealt with that thing that happened five years ago. But when you have an argument, all of that stuff come up at the same time. I just realized, so, so my wife and I will find out are, are, we're, we're, totally, we're totally different, right? We are, we are night, and, night and day. I, like, I'm, I'm the one that wants to talk. I'm, I'm the one that wants to talk. We need to talk about this now. We need to talk. We're going we're gonna to talk about this. I don't care if we talk about this all night. We're going to talk. And, and she's like, I don't want to talk. What kind of woman did you give me, Lord? I, what you mean you don't want to talk? I don't want to talk. I, I, I need like a day or two. I probably, I'm the girl in a relationship. I must be. I don't understand. I don't understand. I'm thinking, well, we, go, we should be able to talk about this. We should be able to talk about this. But she didn't want to talk about it. And so what happens is, is that we, we, we argued a whole lot about simply when to talk about it. See, you may think that your way and your approach is the right way, but truth be, told, truth be known is that both ways are right. 
And if you think your way is right, then what happens is you disregard the approach that your partner has and can find yourself devaluing them. But if you invite God into the process of dealing with your conflict, then you can have disagreements and come to an actual agreement that two is better than one. Chances are that God has put something in them and put something in you that both of you collectively have the solution. But if we stay on our side, we'll find ourselves continuing to argue. So we got these things called the rules of engagement. Number one, no hitting below the belt. No hitting below the belt. Everybody got that red button that says it don't ever, 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 ever touch this button. And some of us like to go when we get into that little uh, spat with our spouse, we go over to the button. We go right over here to the button and say, say something else. <laughs> say something else. Well, And then there's a big explosion. And sometimes we're wondering why in the world how this get here? It hit here because we was hitting below the belt. Some of us have really good at hitting below the belt. But the thing is, is that if you win an argument by winning below the belt, by hitting below the belt, you may win the argument, but you will win at the price of resentment. You will win at the price of, of resentment. So, yeah, you won the argument, but you lost. It might as well have been a, a loss. Number two, the middle, the middle. Look at your spouse. Look at your spouse and tell them, you ain't always right. You ain't always right. But you ain't always wrong either. <laughs> Chances are, you know, if we, we like to argue about things like we're 100% right, amen? We have our view of things, and we're so convinced that that's what it is. And, you know, people call it, I'm just setting my ways. But really, it's just pride, right? Because we want to be right, and that's just how it is. But see, if you're only 80% right about a situation, and your spouse is 20% right about that situation, but you argue like you are 100% right, chances are you're going to be arguing for a long time. See, the thing here is that, is that we have to come to the middle. We have to consider the thing that the other person is saying. And if we find ourselves going into a situation not seeking to win the argument, Bob, at their expense, but to win the argument in such a way that we're both better, then what happens is conflict becomes something that helps you to be better. Then you walk out of the conflict saying some stuff like, I didn't know you felt that way. You see, when we create a safe place, we find ourselves, when we create a safe, when we are a safe place, our spouse will be transparent. But if, you're, if, you're, if, but if our spouse feel like they're going to get beat up every time they, they open their mouths, then chances are they ain't going to want to meet in the middle, let, let alone meet at all. Amen? Number three, get help, not reinforcements. Get help. Not reinforcements. Sometimes we do need help, and that's okay. And Pastor John talked about that a couple weeks ago about needing help. There are no successful marriages by themselves. Everybody, every marriage needs somebody. And even after you've been married for a while, you still need somebody. But when you find yourself in the midst of conflict, don't go get reinforcements. Don't bring somebody else outside to go and tell your spouse about how they messed up. And then you follow that up too. But yeah, you heard what they said. No, that is not going to work. That's not going to bring peace and love. And that's not going to be good and gentle. Amen. Have somebody who, who, who. Who is a mediator that loves God and that will honor your marriage, not be like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> she messed up, man. You should just 
You don't want the person that's going to break you up. You want the person that's going to help bring you back together. Amen? If handled properly, if handled properly, conflict can be that thing that makes peace and helps us to grow and leads to forgiveness and healing instead of being some, a silent killer that destroys our relationships. The last thing is, is sticks and stones. Anybody remember that old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me? That's the biggest lie. <laughs> that, was, that was the biggest lie. That was the biggest lie. We would say this, we would say this to shield ourselves, wouldn't we? We would say it to shield ourselves because truth be told, what they actually said did hurt. That mess hurt when they said that. Okay? It hurt. I'm still dealing with it. I've been short this whole my whole life. This height. But we would shield. We would shield ourselves by trying to convince ourselves that it doesn't hurt. But when we get around, when we're, but when we're alone, then we're forced to deal with the impact of those words because they impact us emotionally and spiritually. See, you can touch. See, a stick. You can touch a wound from a stick or a stone. But that. But words are spiritual and very powerful. And you can't quite touch those things with something physical. Proverbs eighteen twenty one says, "Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof." Now, how did God create everything? Words. He said, let there be light. Boom, boom, it was light. Well, at least that's how, that's how I imagine it happening. If I would have been there, that's what I think it looked like. But boom, it was light, right? He said it, and then it happened. And in Mark 11, we see Jesus was hungry. And he went to a, uh, to a fig tree, and the fig tree didn't have any figs on it. He cursed the fig tree. And then the next day, they walked back by the same fig tree, and then the disciples said, Master, that fig tree that you, that you cursed, it's withered and it's died. You see, there's creative power in God's word, and he has made us in his image. So by default, there are power in our words as well. Our words are spiritual and can impact the physical world that we live in as well. So there's life and death in our tongues, in the things that we say. So what do you say over your marriage? What do you say about your husband? What do you say about your wife? Are you sowing life or sowing death? Because assuredly, you know, God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he reap. So what are, we, what are we saying about the one that we're one with? You know, it's easy to be displeased with our spouse's imperfections and shortcomings and then go off and verbally destroy their character. And unfortunately, sometimes the other people. We'll say things like, you know what, I can't stand when he leaves the toilet seat up. He's so inconsiderate. Or she spends all of the money, all the time, Dwayne. She's so reckless. Or he wants me to do everything around the house. He's so lazy. And you might feel justified in saying those things. But what should I expect to reap if I'm the one that's destroying my wife with my words? If I'm the one that's sowing the death, but don't expect to reap it. But don't you say it, though. See, the funny thing is that we take liberties with our spouses that we don't want anybody else to, to take with. We don't want anybody to talk down to our, to our spouse because that's our spouse. And I love them, and you can't talk about them. We want, them, we want other people to have respect for our spouse that sometimes we ourselves don't show for them. And then we find ourselves in a place where really kind of we're being hypocritical about it. 
You see, James chapter 3, verse 14 and 16 says that if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or do not deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven. It is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and evil practice. Yeah, you may be right about the things you're saying, but you may not set them the right way. If your way to peace is through the destruction of your spouse, then somehow that wisdom does not come from God. No wonder why things are tough. But the next few verses says, but the wisdom that comes from God, from heaven, is first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Peacemakers who who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the very thing and the very way that God interacts with us. He could do the the, the latter, but he interacts with us in a way that brings peace and love. And he sows righteousness within our heart, not to tear us down, but to build us up into the person that he has created us to be. So the thing is that if you want change, if you want change, you got to be careful about the words that you say. In fact, you go first. Stop asking God to change your spouse and ask God to start changing you. Because the word of God says in Luke 6 that a, that a man, that you can tell a tree by the fruit that it bears. Amen? A good man, each tree is recognized. Oh, man, the scriptures changed on me. I'm sorry. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes or from briars. But a good man brings good things out of the good good that's stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil things stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks full what is in the... For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Yes! I did it! So you see here is that, you know, I like the King James Version. It says, man speaks from the abundance of his heart. So the things that you say are actually the abundance. It's it's what flows out of the cup of your heart. It does not speak to what your heart is full of. That's just everything that came out. So if we want things to change, we got to be careful what we say. And if we want what we say to change, then we have to ask God to change us. And if we submit to God, he'll change our heart. He'll change our words and, in fact, change the marriage as well. So we have to find ourselves speaking the right things over our husbands, over our wives, over our children. Even if you don't see it yet, in faith, keep speaking speaking life and God's word over them until you do. Because life and death is in the tongue. Amen? Let's drop the sticks and stones and pick up a shovel and sow God's word. Amen? Amen. Worship team, come on up. Look, marriage is hard, and ain't none of us in here denying it. It is hard. But it's always worth saving. It is is painful at times. It is painful at times. But the joy that comes from companionship, the joy that comes from someone loving you when you feel unloved, is amazing. It was hard for Christ to go to the cross, but he went because he loved us. Not because everything was right, 
but because everything was wrong. Jesus went first. Scripture lets us know that he died for us, the ungodly, while we were yet sinners. And through that, makes a way for us to have relationship with him. You may feel at times like your marriage is stronger as an ox. (laughs) One day. And then the next day, feel like it's fragile as glass. And find yourself asking, how in the world did I get here? You may want to, you may see yourself at a place where you may want to quit and trying to figure out how can you get out of this. But I want you to know this morning, can I have everyone stand all over the place? That your marriage is worth fighting for. You are worth fighting for. Not just at one time, not just a time, but every single time you are worth fighting for. Your spouse is worth fighting for. Your family is worth fighting for. It doesn't matter how hard it is. It doesn't matter how hard it gets, but you and your family and your marriage is worth fighting for. And I know that's right because that is the very, very relationship that God used to exhibit the kind of love that he has for us. It's hard to love a God you can't see. You can't reach out and touch God. But you can reach out and touch your spouse. And God uses that relationship that you may know that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. That he'll be there with you in times of good and in times of bad. For richer or for poor or whatever it is, that he'll never leave you. That he'll be there with you even until the end. That sounds a whole lot like the marriage vows. So through my relationship with God, I understand what my relationship should be with my spouse. You are worth it. Your spouse is worth it. Jesus thought so. Jesus thought so. Maybe today you're saying, know what I'm tired of doing it my way and God I want to give my life to you it's very simple just repeat this prayer after me and for the benefit of those that are around you life helps us all pray together say God thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Thank you for raising him from the dead. Today, God, I choose you because you have chosen me. Today, I make you my savior and my Lord. Make me new, a new creature. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 If you made that decision today, if that was the first time that you prayed that prayer, or if you prayed that prayer today because you wanted to get things back right with God, what I want y'all to do is just throw your hand up real quick. 
so we'll know who it is that you are. We're not going to ask you to come down here or anything, but just throw your hands up in the air real quick. If today was your day that you made the decision to follow Christ, amen. We got one up there. Lifehouse, let's give them a hand. Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.